you know, it, it is said that the, that the professionals know the rules, the masters know when to break the rules. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Black Line Podcast. Mike, it's just you and me today. It is. We've had a lot of guests recently. We've had a lot of guests. We've uh, Good guests. But, but people have lost out on our banter. I know. Well, maybe your mom and my mom, but you know. <laughs> no, there's a third guy that I heard is he's he's listening. Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't know if he's up to this episode yet, but um, yeah. Well, we'll give him something. We'll give him something to listen to. Big night tonight, Mike. It is huge night. First time the Nats will play in a World Series game. I am. Uh, I'm expecting to to be tired for the next uh, week. Yep. But uh, hopefully it'll be a good tired. Hopefully it'll be a good tired. Yeah. So uh, what I know what's gotten my attention, but before we get to my attention, what, 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 what observations have you been making in the world of, of sales and marketing over the last several weeks? What's got your brain buzzing? Hmm. It's always the same thing, you know, new tactics that people are trying to try, silver bullets that everybody's looking for that don't exist. Um, the only silver know, bullet I know is a shitty metric. beer out of Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> I actually happen to like Coors Light, but, you know, it's <laughs> more of a summer beer there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just, you know, that, that's always trying to fight that battle. So I, I, you're talking about new tactics. Yeah, that gets me. Um, that that, uh, you know, early in my career, I I had. I think it was actually Jim Rohn who said it. I used to listen to Jim Rohn. Did you ever listen to Jim Rohn? Yep. Um, he's like made a comeback or something. I've all of a sudden started hearing like people are, are talking about him again. I'm like, did he? Uh, I'm like that. That dude was old when I listened to him. Yeah, everything that goes out of style seems to be uh, – always comes back, I guess. It's, uh, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. As, lo- as long as I don't have to listen to another Brian Tracy tape again in my life, I'll be happy. Did you ever listen to Brian Tracy? No, I did not. That dude is boring. I, I, I listened to him in the car one time. I, I almost fell asleep. I almost, almost, almost totaled my car because of Brian Tracy. Anyhow, uh, yeah, so J- Jim Rohn, one of, my, one, of his, uh, one of my favorite quotes of his is, beware of people who claim to manufacture antiques. Yep. Famous line. There are a lot of antique manufacturers out there right now. Yep. Um, hey, so did you and see? You know what? Now that you, now that you mentioned, I'll tell you, man, this asshole from, well, you know what? The, the, the VCs got what they deserved, but this wow. asshole from, from WeWork. Wow. We're, we're. We're not even 10 minutes I mean, in and we dropped yeah. the a-hole. Holy cow. Well, I mean, there's this new, you know, new news is um, starting to surface around even the, the employees that were going to get laid off. They couldn't lay them off because <laughs> they couldn't pay the severance packages. And it's like, and now he's about to walk with $1.75 billion. Although about apparently... Just, if it makes you feel any better, apparently he's got a lot of bad loans right now. Yeah, um, he's got five hundred million in 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 in, in, in a loan, 
Um, that, no, he's got – I'd read something else that said that he very well won't be a billionaire by the end of the year. Oh, God. God forbid he won't be a billionaire. <laughs> Guy will never – just a shyster, man. Total shyster. You know, here, here's the funny thing about him. And, I mean, he is. And, and um, when their IPO came out, I – you know, I, reg- I have one regret in life um, about blogging. And I have more than one, but one that comes to mind right now. I, I almost started to write a blog when I first saw the news come out about his IPO. He, you know, he was going to have 20, 20 to one voting rights and all this other stupid stuff. And, and I did tweet it. I'm like, if anybody, if anybody buys this stock, you know, they, you know, they, 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 they deserve the, um, the catastrophes that, that come to them. But I, you know, I, I thought, as I was going to take a, a harder um, take on that, I'm like, you know, if, you know, if I write, it, it, it's, I, I know I'm right. I just don't know how long it's going to be until it was right. And I'm like, you know, it, it, everyone's so foolish. There's such a um, froth and, and, and stupidity and, and craziness and um, that, that, you know, they're going to buy it anyway. So I, I thought like, if I talked about how it, you know, this shouldn't IPO that, I mean, who would have thought that was going to be the one, except there's always the first. Right. And so yep. I'm actually, I actually feel really good about it. I mean, yeah, he's, he's going to get, um, you know, more than he deserves. No question about that. But, I, but I, you know, I think about him and I think about Steve Case. You know who Steve Case is, don't you? Yeah. Founder of AOL. AOL. And, and, you know, he, Steve Case gets a bad rap because Case is people talk about Steve Case as the worst merger in history, right? And and yes, Steve Case was involved in the worst merger in history, but it wasn't really a merger; it was an acquisition. Time Warner bought AOL. They yeah, well, called right. it a merger, but it was not. And and in reality, it was the greatest sale ever made possibly up until we work right steve case knew that that they had that the emperor had no clothes right he he took a company that that it turned out had negative value i, I remember i think time warner was trading at like 18 or 19 dollars um and people said well why don't you spin off aol and they're like we can't we'd have to pay we'd literally have to pay people like four dollars a share to take it um, AOL had negative value and it had zero assets. And, and he, there, it, I mean, AOL would have gone out of business if, if Time Warner had not bought them. And, and Steve Case would have lost all of the wealth he had in AOL if Time Warner would not have bought him. So, like, my question is um, is Adam Newman the asshole or is uh, Mitsushashi son? Uh, you know, yeah, vision, you know. bank. And, and, yeah. and how about, and how about that? Um, I mean, the thing, here's the thing that gets me. People were talking about the $40 billion valuation for WeWork, except where did the $40 billion valuation come, come from? It came from yeah, the made, last it's made up, right. It, well, it, but, it, it, but it's worse it's than that. It, it's worse than that. It came from the last round, the last private round that was, there was vision fund. It was right. He, he was the only guy who, who funded, he was responsible for the last three rounds. 
his, I mean, it was the, it is the ultimate, it was going to be the ultimate pump and dump scheme. Like that is literally, if you ever see the movie Boiler Room, <laughs> that is literally, <laughs> literally what yeah, they did in Boiler Room. Right, right. Like, like, like I mean, <laughs> chapter, song, and verse. You, you take some company that doesn't really exist, that doesn't have anything, you buy it up yourself, you control how much can be sold while you promote the hell out of it so people want it, and you get the price up large enough that, that, you'll, that you'll get paid while it comes down in crater. It was the ultimate pump and dump scheme. And, and my favorite news, even more so than the news about WeWork, um, which I believe is is basically being taken under at about an eight billion dollar valuation from fifty to yep. eight in like eight weeks. How about the news from Facebook? <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Which news from Facebook? We've got what, so Zuckerberg, much bad news Zuckerberg, about Facebook. Right. What Zuckerberg's speech at Georgetown saying that he built the platform so that people had a voice. Hey, hey. Mark Zuckerberg cares about the world. Mark Zuckerberg yeah. wants to make the world a better place. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think he should have gone with middle out compression. Um, did you see like there was Zuckerberg in an interview or something said he's always had a tendency to, you know, struggle to express himself. He comes across as robotic. It's kind of like, no way. Zuckerberg robotic. <laughs> no. Um, but I'm not actually talking about Zuckerberg specifically. It was the news that came out about um, Facebook video. And all the video data, and remember like two years ago and everyone was like video, 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 you got everyone's video. I, I, I'm, I, I attended a presentation a couple of years ago where someone was talking about their video platform and it was, um, you know, the, the average person watches, you know, consumes like nine hours of video and it's growing at 80% per year. Um, and I'm like, you know that that basically says that by 2022, the average person will be watching 26 hours of video a day. Yeah. And the, and the guy said, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, I mean, it's really exploded. And I, I didn't even have the, the guts to remind him that, that like there's, <laughs> there's, there's 24 hours. There's only day, 24 right. hours in the day, but like, that's like, that's the stupidity of, so anyways, the news that came out, if anyone's not familiar with it, um, or if when you're listening to this, you don't remember what, um, what the news was is that, you know, all the data about the Facebook um, video time watch conversion rates, cost per lead, it was all made up. It was all a flat out lie. Fabricated. Not true, didn't exist. Um, Not actually, Facebook. I, actually, someone was telling, I, I was listening to a podcast and, and they were talking about how, because um, they were, they were very, very video based and they were very cost per lead based. Um, and they, so they ran a test. They had been doing YouTube. They ran a test on Facebook. The Facebook data came back. It would just, it like destroyed YouTube. They're, 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 so they, they cut their spend on YouTube and moved it all to Facebook. Cause it's like, Hey, that's what the data tells us. Right. Right. Except I bet you, if they really thought about it, I bet you they, they knew. Like I'm talking, you know, the company that shifted. Oh, and and you know, the bad news for Facebook is apparently they um, they wrote a forty million dollar check to I think it was like the three largest ad agencies that that threatened that they wouldn't, you know, they would stop all Facebook spend if yeah. they didn't do something about it. But everybody else, um, and you know, so it's one of those things that 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 it's what has me. It's what has my goat today, Mike. 
Um, and I think it's actually an interesting opportunity for us to have this conversation on day one of, of the, the World, World Series. Series. Game one of the World Series. And that is, um, you know, and I hate to have this conversation because I'm a data guy. I love data. Um, one of the things I love about baseball, I mean, when I, when I was coaching college baseball, we had, uh, I actually brought um, a whole analytics package. We went from, um, I actually had to explain to an umpire, I had to take out the rule book to show them that we could use an iPad um, because we, and we had to show them that we had turned off the, um, the communication capability, et cetera. But we, um, you know, now everyone's doing it, but we had, I'm like, why are we going to keep scoring a paper scorebook? Um, right. So, I mean, we had, we had all of the stuff laid out. We brought in advanced analytics packages. We were able to see, you know, a lot of really, really good stuff in there. And, and, I, and I loved it. Um, and, and I preached data for years. And, and you talked about how everyone's, you know, coming out talking about, you know, new tactics, if you will. And, and it's scary because like, that's, what's, that's what data is becoming. I mean, the way people are talking about data and, um, and you know, Hey, have your, here's how to design your dashboards for predictable performance. I'm like, that, that's not what gets predictable performance, right? And, and so we become, you know, I want to be careful because there's still a large part of the world that's ignoring all this. And, and so by the way, yeah. one of the things that scares me is that because the, the data gang have jumped the shark the non-data people get to laugh at the stupid shit that the data gang people are saying and and they can write off data because of the silliness of of what of what is being said right and you know i am hearing more people talk about attribution analysis and, and i'm laughing because you don't even have a good definition of your pipeline and, what and you're, you're trying to do is, attribution, right. And, and what you're telling me is you want attribution analysis. Yep. What are you going to analyze? <laughs> what are you going to do with it? Well, you know, I think it's important to know if, um, if this ad is responsible for getting more people to become a customer, then, then you know, and, and it's just, it's scaring me, Mike. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's a good point. I think a lot of people that the people that are getting hurt the most with one, a lot of people are trying to become too reliant on just pure data. The data tells me this when they don't really understand the underlying data or what they're trying to accomplish. And guess who gets hurt the most in that? In, in my opinion, a lot of small to medium sized businesses. They're the ones that are the most easily influenced because they don't truly understand it. And therefore, you know, vendor walks in says, Hey, we can do X, Y, and Z. This is exactly the, the, the formula you should follow. And it, it hurts them. Well, what, what I was going to say right now is I think it's the customer who gets hurt. Well, it's the customer and the small to medium sized businesses that are selling to the customer. Um, I, I actually think it's probably more, I mean, for, on your point, I think it's probably more the medium business than the small business. Cause I think the small business, 
I, th- I think the small businesses, it, you know, falls prey to the magic pill of, of methodology, but I don't even know that they're investing in the tool set yet where, where that data game is, is even, I mean, I guess it depends, even being you know, played. Depends, yeah. depends what you define as, as small. Um, but you know, I mean, some of it like, right. I mean, I, when I was a financial advisor, I used to keep a sign above my office that said, don't confuse brains with a bull market. Uh, I always said I'd rather be a bad money manager in a great market than a great money manager in a bad market. Um, and, and, you know, right now, and, and right now, you know, you like here, here's where it here. Like, I don't even think the harm has happened yet. Uh, I, I think it's hurting employees. I think it's hurting. Um, I think it's hurting customers. I, and by the way, I think it's hurting customers because they're increasingly being treated like a data point. Um, and, and we're trying to, we're trying to quantify a quali- a qualitative thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so what's, you know, it, it, it's a variation of high tech, high touch. If you go too high tech with not enough touch, you lose your humanity. You know, the same thing is just sub, 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 substitute tech with, with data and metrics. Um, so I've, I've become a big fan of good arts law. Good arts law is any, if you take any good measure, any good metric, and you turn it into a target, it stops being a good metric. Right. And, and so, um, you know, I like the term data informed more than data driven, but I don't think anybody knows what data informed means. And, and so, like, I think the World Series is a great opportunity to talk about this because you and I have both professed our love for Moneyball. Um, we talked about spin rate. We had a whole podcast where we talked about the shift. Um, and, and, and by the way, you know, it's funny because I see, and I agree with them. As a fan, I agree with everyone who says this. You, you see the shift and you see nobody at third base and you're like, why don't they just make an adjustment? And by the way, that's, that was like, I got made fun of when I was a coach because I just said, make a fucking adjustment. Yeah. And, and people say, why didn't they make an adjustment? And, and the reason they don't make an adjustment, I can tell you why they don't make an adjustment. Because they're not trying to hit ground balls. Right? And, and so it's still the data. I, I, I promise you, when the data is showing that the adjustment is driving it, I, I, I promise you, it's not that there aren't people who can't hit opposite field. Right? It's that the way they've defined the game that's not the value's not there for that. Right. Um, now, you know, it, it's really fascinating. If you take a look, you got the nationals and the Astros in the world series, you have the Yankees who were in the championship series and you have the Cardinals who were in the championship series. Um, and, and you have baseball going through this massive disruption with how free agency is being managed and handled this move to um, experience doesn't matter. It's a massive run to, to, to youth and the idea of <clears throat> what you get, you know, what you get for what you pay for. Yet, if you take a look at the teams that made it to the end, they were among the oldest teams, including the nationals who are the oldest. Um, they're also among the teams who strike out the least, um, which how many times as, as a Nats fan, did we see ball get put in play? Something happened. Now, that is one of the places where it's, it's the problem that, that Billy Bean had with Moneyball is that, you know, those things have a huge difference in a five game or seven game series 
they don't have anywhere near as much of a difference in a 162 game series. Right. Right. Yep. Um, and, and, and so, you know, it is a very different game. Um, but, uh, you know, the Nationals are a really interesting team because they embrace analytics and dismiss it as much as probably any team out there. They, they really are a tale of two houses. Um, they, they, Mike Rizzo, who's the general manager, is an old school scout. That's actually how he became a GM. He was a yeah. He scouted from the lowest levels of being a scout, and and he values scouts. Um, they they have a very professional analytics group, and and there was someone, I believe it was from the Nationals, um, who said, you know, those guys who are figuring out these analytics. I mean, they are brilliant. Um, there's probably less than a thousand people in the world who could calc- who could come up with the calculation. That they've, that they've created. But the thing is, once they've created it, everybody has it, right? Yep. You know, once Moneyball came out, it was like, okay, we, we all have that. Um, it's very much like the stock market. Yeah, you know. Hedge, hedge funds and where you see flash crashes and things like that, where everybody's using the very, very similar algorithms. And when there's no news, something crashes. So, so you know, there, so this is actually a great example. Actually, we, this might, should you run your marketing department, should you run your customer acquisition and success team as an index fund or an actively managed fund? That would be an interesting thing to go deep on. So I got the chance to meet some really good money managers when, when I was um, a financial advisor. And and one of the money managers I met with had an amazing track record for beating the S&P 500 on a on rolling five-year, seven-year, 10-year periods, had a very good track record on, on beating it on a rolling three-year period. But if you looked at on a one-year period, the market beat him more often than he beat the market. Yep. Right? And- and, and so, I mean, this is a guy that if you look at, you know, just about any seven-year period that he's been a money manager, he's beaten the market, right? I mean, he, for a, and that's, by the way, after fees, okay? And I had a chance to talk to him. And I'm like, you know, how do you do it? And he said, in his first couple years as a money manager, he wasn't any better than anybody else. And the way he puts it, he was probably worse. Because what he tried to do when he was a money manager initially was he tried to figure out which stocks were the best stocks to buy, which stocks would give him the best return. And what he realized was, you can't do that. Probably no one can do that. Um, Especially when you consider the fact that that there's so much information about just about everything out there that, that what causes a stock to outperform is something happens that you didn't know about. Yeah. And so he realized he's like, what? Well, the only way I can get an advantage is when something happens that no one would have predicted to happen. And, and to do that in a, in, a, in a large cap fund, that's a really hard thing to do. And then he realized, you know, the market takes care of returns. His job was to control the risk. His job was to figure out how could he, how could he protect his downside? Right. And so the reason that he didn't typically beat the market in a single year, probably beat it about 40, 50% of the time on a three-year basis 
but beat it significantly on a 5, 7, 10 and longer year basis was because he outperformed the market in periods when the market was down. Right. And, and the impact of money coming in and out has a, has more of an impact. The volatility on that with, with inflows and outflows has more impact actually than the return. I actually, because of him built a investment philosophy that was based on my goal was I only wanted to capture 75% of the upside of the market. Like that's all I was shooting for. Give me 75% of the upside, but give me no more than 50% of the downside. Right. And, and if you take a look at the wealth impact of that over time, right? So, so his job, like he realized he's not paid to manage stocks. He's paid to manage wealth. And manage risk. Well, but, you know, so-, so the, Which leads to the wealth component, correct. Right, so the, the, the point being, I want, like, why do people invest in the stock market? Why do people invest in funds? Why do people hire money managers, index or active? Well, because I want more money later in my life to take care of me, right? I want to have more total money. Um, I want to not run out of money, right? And, and so the return, like no one on their deathbed said, I wish I had had one more point of return. How's that? For, <laughs> right? But, they, but many have said, I wish I hadn't run out of money so early. Right? Yeah. Um, Maybe I wouldn't be on my deathbed. And, and, and so, so the, the point was his job, was to create the environment where wealth could accumulate, right? He couldn't accumulate wealth. The market accumulated the wealth. His job was to create the environment for it to communicate. And, it, and it, when you're growing a business, when you're looking at customer acquisition and success, I think the same thing is true, right? It, it you know, there's an alchemy here that, there, there's no single thing. And that, that's, this is what scares me about attribution analysis. Um, outside of the fact that people have databases that are nowhere near clean enough to, to actually attribute. And, and most of them all, in, in is, I'm going to get off on it. We'll do marketing, we'll do attribution later. Um, the, where, where we keep trying to, we keep trying to find the single thread of, and, and the thing that is, man, it is the most frustrating thing about sales and marketing, in my opinion. And that is, I can put a check in every box. It's why I hate job descriptions in sales and marketing. I could tell, I could give an accountant a, a set of boxes to check off and would feel confident that if he checked, if, if those boxes if he were designed every box, correctly, correct. yep. checking yep. the boxes means he did a good job. Man, in sales and marketing, you know, it goes back to um, our, our our conversation around. Um, um, oh my God, who I can't believe Barracuda, um, the, you know, the guy from Barracuda, where you know, what's the difference between the you know being at Barracuda that became a home run IPO and being at the venture funded company where you gave the money back luck, right? You could check every box, you could do every single thing you're supposed to do. And not, Still not succeed. Yep. And and by the way, you can be dumb and hit a home run. Yep. Right. I mean, you can look at it and say that was not a bright thing to do in business. I mean, Mark Cuban. Let's be honest. What did Mark Cuban do? He bought a bunch of webcams and and put web put put video on the web in a shitty, shitty, shitty way. Um, and someone said, "Hey, yeah, I'll 
I'll, I'll pay you $3 billion, some whatever number of billion dollars. I mean, it's company. Like, yeah. I mean, um, and and so that's why I, I mean I like Mark Cuban. Um, I think he's a funny guy. I've met. I actually had I, I had a chance to meet him and go drinking with him. He is exactly what everyone says he is. He is a crazy, crazy man. Um, I, I frankly can't believe he hasn't gotten into more trouble than he's gotten into. But that's a story <laughs> for another day. Um, he, I, I, I kind of laugh when he, you know, it, I saw. I, I used to watch Shark Tank. I don't anymore. But he, like he, as much as anybody, you know, is asking all these data metric strategy questions etc and i'm like dude there's i i actually know for a fact you didn't ask any of those questions right, you weren't dude, thinking any of those of things when you started when you started broadcast.com yeah. you're like hey nobody's showing this this division three colleges soccer game on the on the web i'll put a webcam up here yeah. um so so what what we we keep trying to find these these single threads to say that's how you do it. And, and it, that's what scares me. And I think that's what you were getting at earlier is, is this stuff that comes out and says, this is how you do it. And, and I'm like, the moment someone says that, maybe I'm just too skeptical, but the moment someone says, this is how you do it, that they lose me. That, I'm like, yeah, there's, okay. a big, there's a huge red flag there or a, because man, if, if there was, this is how you do it. Here's what I know. There'd be more money in you developing your book and tape set selling the, this is how to do it. than there would be running whatever business you're running. <laughs> right. Remember when, I mean, Robert Kawasaki with, uh, um, I forget what his book was, but I mean, the, the money that you made for, for, silliness yeah um and and so it's like our job is to create an environment for a positive explosion our job is to create the environment where ignition can occur right and and, and steve chow said it i think really well our job is to be there it's that's why i love poker that's why i i love vegas as as an example for this is I need to have a, enough money at the table so that when I get on a roll, it matters, but enough in reserve that can ensure that I'll be there um, when it Until comes. Until you get on your next roll. Yeah. And, 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 and I need to manage the, the probabilities effectively. And, and so it's like, there are things that we can do that will greatly increase the likelihood of a traffic jam, right? And now traffic jams are negative. But, but imagine if a traffic jam represented um, your business achieving scale, right? There, there are things that you can do that increase the likelihood. None of them guarantee it. Um, probably even better, there's things that, th th there are a number of factors that increase the likelihood of a forest fire. And again, when you understand those things, then, then you can prevent those forest fires. But if the forest fire were good, of course, you could increase the likelihood of them happening. And so I, I still say 50% of a business of a business's growth is is luck. And again, that's not blind luck, right? But it's it's factors totally outside Cal of your yeah, control. Cal Cal yeah, right. Yep. And, 
and, and, and creating and creating that environment to, to, and, to allow it to happen. You know, you know what bothers me about all the data that's out here now, as I'm talking about this out loud with you, I'm finally realizing this. You know what none of the people who are preaching data ever talk about? They never talk hmm. about reversion to the mean. They, they, they never talk about the number one indicator of performance is reversion to the mean. Yep. Right. Um, and I, I heard somebody who said the difference between a good mathematician and a great mathematician is a good mathematician trusts the math and a great mathematician doesn't. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, 50% of it is reversion to the mean. And like, that's why when I'm having a bad quarter, a bad six months, you know, you know what keeps me going? If I can just keep going, yep. I'm going to get lucky for at least a month or two. Yep. Right now, now I'm not going to leave it to just that, but it's, but it, but it's also what causes me not to overreact when it's not. Yep, totally. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, again, I think that's what separates people that, well, I shouldn't say separates, but that's why it takes a long time to build a, a truly real business is, you know, yeah, sure. Sometimes you're going to hit a home run quickly. Um, but in a lot of instances, it's a roller coaster ride and it's, it's making sure that you can, you know, live another day to fight. See, so yeah, you might hit a home run quickly, but here's what I, I'm, I've become increasingly convinced about this. Um, no one gets from here to there in a straight line. Yeah, no, no, one, no I, one, absolutely not. I totally agree. No one gets from here to there without having an extended period of time that, that you just want to get off the bus. Yep. Um, I, I, I tweeted last week. I live by the, the, the phrase, if it were easy, everyone would be doing it. But I have to admit, some days I wish more people were doing it. Yeah. Right. For those of you not paying attention, that means some, there are days that I do wish it were easier. Like it doesn't, does it always have to be hard? Um, and, and, you know, the problem, like, have you seen all the data that's coming out about social media and, and its impact? Um, well, I, I don't want to violate what, what we're talking about today. It, the, the correlation to the adoption of social media to the increased uh, mental illness and suicide yep. rate. Yeah. It's, it's it, great. It, well, it's not just social media, but, but, but more also um, access to easier access to uh, content via like mobile devices, things like that. Yeah, and, and so, you know what no one has on Twitter, and this is an exaggeration, cause, and I'm grateful for the people that do. I've actually tried to be a little bit more um, authentic on there. You know what, but no one, the proverbial no one has a bad day on, on yep. Twitter. No one has a bad day on Facebook, right? Here, for those, let me see if I can pull this up quickly. I, I texted this to a, to a whole group of friends. Let me see if I can quickly find it. Uh, we, me and Lisa were actually, you know what? I should be able to get it in my photos. Me and Lisa were at a wedding and I made this joke. Uh, uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to find it quick enough. Alrighty. Well, you keep looking for it. I'll, I'll keep talking. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, we, we, we keep getting promised this, 
we keep being told, we, we keep getting promised this path. The path is promised by somebody who's, who's telling their wonderful story and saying, you know, this is how you do it. This is how we do it. Sorry, I'm thinking wedding and, um, right. <laughs> and, and we forget a couple of things, right? Um, n number one is there's no straight line. Number two is every line is a curve. And, and, and that's the place where we get ourselves in, in, into trouble. So someone says to me, what should my CAC be? My answer is, what problem are you trying? Oh, by the way, for those of you that maybe CAC, customer acquisition cost. What should, what should I target my customer acquisition cost for? Did you find it? Yes, I did. Yeah. So that was like the joke. Somebody actually took that real picture. It wasn't that we, I was bored or not into the conversation. That's what they took. So I said, that's life you know, real life. And then that's a life on Facebook. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And, and so, um, now I don't remember what I was saying. How about that? So what, what, what should my target customer acquisition cost be? Right. My answer to the question is, well, what problem are you trying to solve? Right. Yep. If, if your customer acquisition call, if your customer acquisition costs are too high, um, and 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 further, I'd add that, and and if you're adding customers at a at a rate that is satisfactory, um, then you should strive to lower your customer acquisition costs. You should strive to be more efficient, right? But oh, so I want a lower customer acquisition cost. Yeah, until until what? Right until that's not a problem, right? Because once that's not a problem, and that's why, you know, what's your economic model? So like everyone's jumping to metrics. I, I, I actually, I'm- this Without understanding what they're trying, without understanding what they're trying to solve for. They're, they're, yes. Or why they're trying to solve for a particular issue. So, so I, I don't, I don't want to pick on anybody because actually this is a company that I think is doing some really neat things. I'm, I'm working with this company, they're testing out. All of a sudden, G Sheets has become really popular with people doing um, analytics because everyone's got this Google Sheets plugin to pull data from, et cetera. And so I was working with them. Like, I don't even want to say it's alpha. It's like pre-alpha. Um, and, and there's a so, – so we, we pull a lot of data from HubSpot um, to put in a way that we can massage it and combine it with um, non-quantitative um, stuff. Like, you know, our editorial calendar, what, what content is geared to what persona, what stage, what, you know, what, you know, any number of things, but, but then to, you know, to be able to see the strategy with the, with, with, with the performance and to be able to keep it up to date. And, and so, you know, between that and some of the sales stuff that we're doing and everything else, we probably spend 15, 20 hours a week, just getting spreadsheets ready. Right. And, and I'm not, I, I, we, we use for anyone that's listening, we use all the visual stuff. We, I mean, the, the, the report dashboards we built out in HubSpot and other places, they're, they're awesome. Th this is data that we need in like, we use spreadsheets for the reason that people should use, use spreadsheets. It's, it's the manipulation and management and assessment and quantification of data, right? It's not about visualization in this case. Um, and, and so one of the places that's probably responsible for about five to seven 
absolutely valueless, laborious hours that if we make a mistake has a meaningful impact, it looks like they're going to be able to automate it. Push a button, update it. Bam. Right. So now there's, you know, hey, we want to share with you this, you know, this next thing we're working on and, you know, where we're going. And all of a sudden it's like, um, it's a report that automatically calculates what your, uh, what your funnel is, how many new contacts, how many new leads, how many new marketing qualified leads, how many new sales qualified leads, how many new opportunities, how many new customers. I'm like, isn't that, isn't that like the dashboard, like the first dashboard you get in, in HubSpot? And, 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 and here's your, here's your pipeline report. And, and this is the source of, and I'm like, and, and, and what they were telling me is, well, what we're trying to do is we're trying to solve for the people who want the data, but they don't necessarily know what, what the data is and, and, and how to put it together. And so they're trying to automate that for them. And I'm like, well, okay, then you're not actually solving the problem for me, but there's also 3 million people who do that. And so everyone's trying to, everyone's trying to treat data like it's the solution, but no one's saying like the hard work's the context. Like, yep. what's your economic model, right? And, and so, you know, if my brother taught me this, my brother brought pricing to um, um, apartment. Do you, do you remember the days he used to drive down? Uh, he actually did um, hotels as well. He developed a pricing system for hotels. Uh, remember you used to drive and, and um, vacancy, no vacancy? Have you ever noticed yep. there's never, like, no, those signs don't exist anymore. Like, only in the rarest of rare occasions is there no vacancy. You know why? Because if you have a hundred percent occupancy, you're stupid. You're not, yep. You're not, you're not being aggressive enough. It's not just that you're like actually stupid. It's like stupid to have a hundred percent occupancy. If you have an apartment building, you go, oh, well hotels, it's one night. If you have an apartment, if you're above like, I think it's like 95, 96% occupancy, you're dumb. <laughs> as, as a matter of fact, one of the things that, you know, cause um, I talk with my brother about sales. He talks about pricing. We talk about metrics. I talk about closing rate. He says closing rate's a horrible number to use in, in, in apartment sales. Come on, Donald. It's, it's sales. Closing. No, no. He said, here's what you have to understand. If you do a really good job closing and you're pricing the apartment effectively, the better job you do at closing, the more the system will raise the price so you can't close. Right. So it, it won't let your closing rate go above yeah. a certain level because if you do now today, that's not as unusual as it was a, more than a decade ago, but like, can you, people still do like, you don't want every room occupied. What do you mean? Right. It's um, you don't want every email opened. Like you, you talk about email fatigue. You don't want zero email fatigue. You're right. I totally agree. Right. You don't want zero opt-outs. If no one is opting out of your email, what are you waiting for? That means you are like you're you're not fulfilling the the demands of a core group of, of your people because they want more. Or or they're just totally not paying attention to you. Yeah. Right. They're not even seeing it to be able to opt out. Right. I, you know, I used to, so, so we did something called Monte Carlo analysis when I was a financial advisor. And, and what we would do is we would analyze, you know, 
a thousand scenarios of, of, diff, of, of you retiring in different performances and, and, and patterns of that performance. And, and what we used to talk about is we talked about the red zone, the green zone, and the yellow zone. Right? And, and, and so you want to be in the green zone. If you were above, a, I mean, so if you were below a certain number, you were in a red zone, right? Because you were in danger of running out of money. But if you were above a certain range, you were in a yellow zone because what we were saying is, you know, if, if you want to live on $100,000 a year and, and never have less than $2 million, right? And, and you've got a 95% chance of, of being in that situation, right? Which most people would say, oh, wow, that's great. The problem is you're, you're taking more risk than you should be taking or you're sacrificing life that you should be living, right? Which is like, so if $100,000 is really all that you need, then, then be less aggressive in your investments because you'll actually have a better chance. You know, even though it looked like 5%, of, right, you actually right. had more than a 5% chance of running out of money because yep. if the wrong scenario hit, you were, you, you, you were done. So it's the same thing when, when we're looking at our metrics. Metrics guide, here's the key. If you're looking at metrics to give you answers, you're misusing them. Yes. So, you know what, this, and, and maybe this is a, a little bit of a full circle to what kind of like you're saying, like, I can't tell you how many conversations Eric and I have had. Um, and Eric's obviously been uh, exposed to so many different businesses that are trying to do, you know, data analysis. And some of them are, are very big, very well-known companies. And that is a fundamental problem. They, they think, hey, let's just go hire a bunch of MIT, PhD, computer scientists, and they're just going to analyze all of this data and they're going to come up with some kind of model that predicts X, Y, and Z. And then what they're forgetting is the whole context of why they're even doing it. They, 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 don't, they, they can't comprehend why they're actually doing the thing that they're doing. And therefore, there's all kinds of downstream effects to that. Oh, yeah, this model based off of this small subset of data was able to produce XYZ result, which is what management really liked. Let's just keep throwing more money at that. And then the next thing you know, it's like, no, 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 no. We, we were focusing on the wrong problem the entire time once they get somebody that actually understands the context of it. Yes. And, I mean, absolutely, 100%. And you've got a lot of people, and you see it because you and I talk about this. Um, you get asked about metrics and then you ask, well, why, why is that metric important to you? And you get, you know, a nothing burger response, right? right. We don't know why we're looking for something. Um, so, 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 you know, when you, we become a hammer, everything's a nail. And here's the other thing that people forget about business. <clears throat> the rules of the game of business, the context of business changes instantaneously in, in ways that, that you can't predict. And, and oftentimes in ways that you can't tell until after the fact. I mean, let, let's realize the only, we're only going to know we were in a recession after we're in the recession. After we're in a recession. Yep. <clears throat> exactly. Right. And so, you know, if, if I'm, you know, if the fish are jumping out of the boat, then I'm lowering my cost of customer acquisition. Right. But if I'm not, playing around and, 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 and identifying where this is. And, and I wait to, to realize, oh shit, we've got a customer acquisition problem. 
let, let, let's increase the spend. I, I, I had a I had a prospect that we were talking to. He obsessed about and he was he was super, super proud of his customer acquisition cost. Um and he wanted greater growth. And I'm like, okay, you know, and, and his his commandment was increase the growth, but don't increase uh the customer acquisition costs. And I'm like, you're you're like at less than half of what a good target um what your target customer acquisition cost is for your profit margin, you know, for your profit formula. I'm like what, why wouldn't you want to increase that? Um, and, and, and by the way, I'm going to put $1 I, into an ATM and get $2 in return. Why wouldn't I put $1.50 to get the same $2 right. if, I could, if and, I could just keep feeding it $1.50? And here's the other thing they don't get is like, if you were to go ahead and say, hey, I'll spend more money to acquire the customer um, to open up a new vein. And then once I get it going, now I can work on lowering that cost of acquisition right? That's creating the environment where, where things ignite. The other thing I, I know is if, if you get too efficient, well, if it's profitable to be less efficient, someone's going to go ahead and just say, Hey, let, you know, and, 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 and that. Let me see up. if I can come up with a better mousetrap and make it more or, efficient. Or, right. or you know what, Amazon. you know what, you know what you and I talk about and we bitch about all the time. We say they're just buying business. You know what the person says that's buying business? You're just saying that because you wish you could. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, now sometimes they're buying business that, that, that's really not sustainable, but, but it's the whole, it's the whole John Nash theory. Um, and, and, and by the way, I'm talking about customer acquisition costs. There's, there's like a hundred different things that are all oh, impacting that we could, what's going on. Yes, absolutely. And, 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 and so what, what, what we're doing is we're getting like super duper linear. And so the question you got to really be thinking about is, and this really brings it full circle, the Nationals and the Astros, they're in the World Series because they know analytics and they know metrics and they know when it's time to break it, right? The analytics say Hararo Pera should not be on the roster. Right. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I was just going to say. Give bring it. I think you can bring it full circle. And, and you and I have had these discussions multiple times. Use that to bring it full circle because you're right. The analytics say that he should not be on the nationals, but what he did for that team. Well, and it, no, I mean, no, no metric could have no, no metric in this world could have predicted what would have happened? However, Martinez and the rest of the Nationals created an atmosphere that allowed it to happen. What 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 I'll say is, outside of whether he should have been acquired, he slumped the entire second half of the season. Yep. Right. So the analytics say, okay, don't put him on the postseason roster. Except there was no question that he's on the postseason roster because of the environment that he creates. Yep. Right. And and. And, and, and seeing what's to, what's to bear. Um, Ryan Zimmerman, he, he shouldn't have batted in, in, in the situation where he hit the three-run home run, right, against the Cardinals. Um, I'm sorry, no, against the Dodgers. He, he shouldn't have batted. You should have had a lefty up. Uh, you know, all those things happen, except, you know what? We got this situation. This is what's going on. Um, and, and, and by the way, if I lose by one or win by one it's you know it, 
the, the, the outcome is huge. Now, you know where you live by data? You live by data in the high volume, low stake areas, right? Those things where the differences don't make a big deal, right? That's where you live by data. Where, where you let data guide your questions is the yeah. high stakes areas. And, and the problem yeah. is, is that we're trying to use data and, 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 and just about all data is, is rear view data. It's, bi it's also biased to be, well, to it's, be, well, yes. to be well, frank. I, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's very biased. By the way, that, that, that's what I, mean, what I loved about my brother when he was telling me about his pricing algorithm. It, it was something, and I'm going to totally um, bastardize it, but it was something along the lines of um, we can't predict the future, and, and whenever we try to predict the future, we're wrong. So the first input in the system has to be whatever we think is going to happen, it's unlikely that's going to happen, right? Yeah. And, and, and so you're, you're, you know, you're, you're building that into there. This is why I think AI has very interesting application. I am not all on board. We got to get Paul Rocher on to have this conversation. I am not all on board that it's going to live up to what they talk about. And you might tell me that you, you would know more than I would if I'm right about this, but all the data, all, all the data that, that it's crunching is still rear facing. Yep. Right. Now it might be. Now you can, you can do, you yeah, right. You can, you can apply some things that are, are, are more like a, a training models, things like that. However, I would, I would agree. Like, I'm not full. I think there's a lot of applications for AI, and it's, it's a, but I Hold think on. we're a long time away from where people think we are. I got, I got or, two thoughts. Or we, they think we're going to be. I got two thoughts to finish on this. Even when you train, what are you using to train the data? You're using historical performance. Yeah, that, that, correct. Yep. Right. Um, So like, like, it's like, know. it's like rewarding. It's like rewarding a child to say, Hey, you, you, you did good. Here's, here's well, no, something more. Not, but no, 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 no. It is not. It's, like it's a reinforcement. You, 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 you can build reinforcement models. Except, except that a child, the reinforcement to the child actually changes its brain for how it conceives multiple inputs. Um, it, it, it is precisely the difference. So here, here's the example. Um, Gmail does a pretty good job of telling me what my next three words are going to be. Smart Compose, yep. Right. And, and, and it's built on the training that I've done and, and, it, and that's why it gets more accurate, right? Tomorrow I change jobs. What happens to its algorithm? Okay. Now, now. Interesting point. I give my, I give my four-year-old son a cookie I change jobs tomorrow. My four-year-old will change the behavior. My four-year-old will conceive that the situation or circumstance is different. Or Smart Compose is great, except all of a sudden I'm having one of those shitty days where I wish it was easier. And it keeps giving it to me like on every other day. And, and, and maybe those are the days that I should take what it says even more. But right, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. I'm like, <laughs> there's not enough F words in this, right? And, and, and so that, so now where, where I do give some credit and, and this is where analytics can be, I mean, there, there are things that say that there's predictive. 
I hope, I, I know we're trying, I know that there's a lot of technologists that are trying to, to, to have the, the external messaging drive our behavior rather than our behavior drive the external messaging. But the other thing too, and, and if, so the other day I saw somebody who said, um, big fan of video, um, and, and we don't just like video because we like video. We've actually, you know, we actually track it and, um, you know, 20% of people who closed, um, watched video, only 7% of people who closed didn't watch video or, or something like that. I guess it was, I mean, it, it's some aspect where I, I'm obviously forgetting the numbers, but, but you would look at it and you say, oh yeah, hey, wow. Um, no question, video, um, but there, A, there's all kinds of bias in, in, in how that data gets selected. But B, if you want to take attribution, if you want to, so you, we're going to attribute this result to video, right? Okay, now you're in the, the world of, of pharma, right? Because that's their job. Their job is to figure out, does this treat that? And, and the first test they say is, does the non-control, you know, does the test group get a better outcome than the control group. And, and, and if that's not yes, then the experiment is over. It's scrap. But if it is yes, the experiment has just begun because now you have to disprove the null hypothesis. Yep. So the next thing they do is prove that while this group, while, while it outperformed, we're now gonna seek to prove that it this was not the reason. This was not the effect. This was not the cause. This was right. not the causation for for, right. for for the outcome. Correct. And ain't nobody in marketing doing that. Yeah. And you know what? You know who's doing that? Amazon is doing that. Right. Amazon is doing that. Amazon's yes. doing that. Right. But and, and and so and and guess what? If you can put that, that's the thing that drives me crazy. Here, this is what Amazon is doing. Hey, guess what? Give me a trillion dollar valuation. I can do a lot of shit that I'm not doing right now. I, I mean, I used, to, I used to talk about this all the time when, you know, GE used to be the example that everybody shared. And I said, you know what? You know what's really cool about being GE? When you need money- They can money, make a you, lot of mistakes and they've got a lot of money. When you need money, you can underwrite a $4 billion bond offering at 3% interest. Yeah. Right. Hey, I can get $4 billion for 3%. Uh, you know, it's a different game. And, and so that, you know, that's- you know, it, it is said that the, that the professionals know the rules, the masters know when to break the rules. And, and we're, you know, I do not want to diminish the use of data and, and analytics because Lord knows I, I live by it. But we've got to start, we, we got to reset and, and start start looking at the bigger picture or what scares me is, I don't know if it's 12 months, 36 months, 60 months from now, we're going to be in a different place. I, I've seen it happen on the sales side. There are so many salespeople that, that didn't learn how to sell because they spent their professional careers in the, in the 1990s where everything was jumping to then, especially the, you know, the, the odds where, you know, we, we, we came to learn that there was a fake financial underpinning to all the money that was being spent. 
I'm, I'm seeing the same thing happening is that there are a lot of people that are um, blindly following metrics and they don't really understand why they're doing it. And the moment the circumstances changes, they're, um, they're going to be a lot of lost puppies. Yep. Right. So unfortunately, and, and, unfortunately, I, 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 I agree with you. And, and, and the truth is, let's be honest, our businesses aren't that complicated. Right. We don't, we don't, A, we're not big enough for it to be statistically like to, to have that kind of blindness. Right. Um, so, so stop being data blind. And, and, and start using data to prompt your questions rather than to answer your questions. Mike, why don't you close us out today? I think we should leave it at that. And uh, I couldn't agree with you more on a bit of a reset there. And the last thing I will say is go Nats. And oh, thanks for I'm gonna say go Nats. Gerardo Parra. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Until next time, thanks for joining us on the Black Line Podcast.